As we consider today the power that is now ours because of the cross of Jesus Christ, let's read our scripture together today. We'll read it out loud. I will mention our reference and then please say with me together. Romans 16, verse number 20, which reads, And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Let us pray. Father, because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, we experience today the power provided through him that happened on the cross of Calvary. May we see Jesus Christ, our victor, as also our daily victory. Bless now this looking into your word, and may you intersect its truths with our daily lives. Praying this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Our text today is, of course, what we just read, Romans chapter 16, verse number 20. And I would submit that anyone that is here present, anyone that is at this moment watching, who has taken any time to look about them, they have seen the devastation that lay scattered in the wake of what we might call Satan's deception, his lies. And then we long to see Satan crushed not only under the weight of Christ's victory at the cross, but under our own feet as well, to see victory snatched from what we might call the jaws of defeat. For any who have seen the pain that comes from a broken marriage or a trafficked child, or to see someone that is deep hurtly by the careless gossip and, and hateful thoughts or statements of another, for those who have felt the pain that comes from personal and continual failure, to hurt from sickness and disease, from loss and the reality of death, even the hurt of those that you love who have gone astray. They have been lied to and deceived by the one that we call the deceiver. All of this brings about a desire to see the one who defeats us, defeated as well. We live in a broken world that has not yet been made right. We have a brief glimpse of the world to come, but we certainly today see through a glass darkly. There are many today that have watched all too closely the pain and the sorrow and the hurt that sin brings. And it does what it always does. It destroys, it defeats, it divides, it deceives. And because of all this, I believe that deep within the heart of mankind is a real ache that longs to see the wrongs made right, to see good triumph over evil, to see the enemy of mankind, Satan himself, finally get that which he is due. The title of our message today is Under Your Feet. Under Your Feet. There seems to be some visual picture that, that takes life or 
gives us additional meaning when we see the vanquished foe. The one who has gone about doing his work of of deceiving and destroying, of dividing, of continually wreaking havoc, to see that one, the enemy, vanquished under not just our victor, Jesus Christ, but underneath those that have been his victims, to see our foot placed upon the head of the enemy. It seems like we are those that are oftentimes them that are taken captive at his will. This one who roams about as the roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. To know that he does have plans, as Jesus stated to his follower Peter, Satan hath desired to sift thee as wheat. Literally for us today, to chew you up and to spit you out. To see this enemy under your feet? We do have this ongoing desire to see that wrong made right. In fact, we would see that, to use some more common um, um, analogy, we would see that as a late in the fourth quarter victory. I mean, who here hasn't felt the humbling effects of being defeated or overrun by that enemy? I mean, sometimes we experience it in ways that are surprising and shocking and certainly humbling. Like, why is he having victory over me? I want to see myself having victory over him. And sometimes when it appears that hope is lost, somehow the table is immediately turned. The circumstances radically changed, and the victim now takes the place of the victor. It's like some wrestling match where it appears that the game is over. The the umpire, the official, is about to slap his hand on the mat, and that indicating the whole thing is done when all of a sudden some brilliant move takes the one who we thought had sealed the victory and turns it around and now the one who was the victor is now the victim. I know this has limited appeal, but but it certainly does to me and, and maybe resonates with some of you. I do enjoy watching the battle that takes place and unfolds on what we sometimes refer to as the gridiron, a football field. And, And to watch two teams battle it out and then To watch your team, the team you want to win, to see them come from behind and secure the victory, there is something that has this universal appeal, especially when it's your team, to to secure something that seemed impossible to achieve. Now this was some years ago, and it's when I was following more carefully the Denver Broncos. And the Broncos were playing, and their quarterback was lackluster. And there was a young quarterback that got a lot of attention. In fact, he still is a familiar name to us today, although no longer playing in the NFL. His name is Tim Tebow. And Tim Tebow in Denver was one of those mystical figures. Everybody thought he must be the savior of the team. But they were playing another quarterback, he was injured, and it's kind of like Tebow is going to get his start. So they gave him the chance, and they were going to play the Miami Dolphins in Miami. 
As fate would have it, I was preaching at a church in Miami the day this game is supposed to be played. And so I preached the morning service. Everybody's kind of joking around with me about the, the Broncos because they were having a really dismal year. And today was going to be Tebow's first start. So, um, so the church service ends, I'm getting razzed a bit and, and understandably so, but I'm thinking maybe Tebow is the answer to their, you know, football woes. Well, the first quarter comes and goes, I'm just watching the, 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 the game unfold in the room that I had been given and, and it, is, it is embarrassing. I'm watching this game happen, I'm like, I, I don't even wanna go preach at that church tonight because they're just gonna razz me to no end. And, and it was dismal. I mean, it, almost embarrassing. Over and over and over again, this is just, I don't wanna watch this, but I continue, you know, it's kinda like I can't take my eyes away. Um, it's like the traffic that slows down after a bad accident. This was a bad accident. And so while I'm watching this, it was dismal until the last two minutes and 44 seconds of the game. At this point, Denver is down by 15 points in the fourth quarter. Again, two minutes, 44 seconds remaining. The Broncos appeared beaten and they took over at their own 20 yard line. At this point, Tebow had completed the whole game, only four passes out of 14 attempts. And he had secured a, uh, an amazing 40 yards from his passing game. Well, Tebow does begin to see something happen, and in the frantic final moments of the fourth quarter, Tebow led a touchdown drive of 80 yards. And in my mind, I thought, good, at least I can show my face at church tonight, okay? They scored, and I thought it's not as embarrassing as it could have been. Then, after their 80-yard touchdown victory, they tried an onside kick. Now, if you know anything about an onside kick, you know it is very rare that they recover. Well, the Miami receiver caught the football. He was hit by one of the Broncos, coughed up the football. Denver recovers the football. I'm thinking, well, this is interesting. And now I'm actually looking forward to going to church tonight, okay? So then Tebow leads another 56-yard drive, and it's followed by, now remember, it's 15 to 7 at this time. They scored a touchdown, six points, 15 to 13. They need a two-point conversion, and Tebow runs the ball in. It's a tie game, and there are 17 seconds left. Well, I think... Man, I want to preach tonight, okay? In overtime, Denver forced a Miami fumble. They recovered the ball at the 36-yard line. Three plays later, their kicker, Matt Prater, comes up. He kicks a 36-yard field goal, and Denver won the game. I'm going to preach long that evening. Okay? In Tebow's brief run with the Broncos... He engineered five fourth-quarter comebacks, three overtime wins in regular season, an incredible overtime win against the Pittsburgh Steelers with an 80-yard touchdown pass on the first play of overtime. 
which incidentally was his last win as an NFL quarterback. He was clearly a guy who was known for his snatching victory from the jaws of defeat quarterback. The point I'm trying to make is everybody loves a good comeback. To see yourself, to see yourself down for the count, and then through the move that no one anticipated, the opponent that appears to have won is suddenly defeated. Such is the power of the cross. Such is the beauty of the victory won by our Lord, our Savior, Jesus, the Christ. As we look at our text this morning, let's consider what it is that God makes possible through such a turn of events under your feet accomplishment. The first thing that we're going to notice about this God is he is, as the Bible describes, first, the God of peace. The God of peace. Now, this seems a little bit counterintuitive to what it is that we're talking about with victory. The God of peace? But, but we want to have victory over our arch enemy, the devil. Don't confuse this. When the Bible says, and the God of peace, Don't confuse this description to mean that God is only peaceful. Please don't miss this, Campus Church. Don't think that because the Bible says, and the God of peace, don't think that he is only peaceful. Rather, it means that he is the God who secured our peace. And he did so with such violence as has been never known or experienced by man. The Greek word for peace, it comes from, the the word that we see for peace, it comes from the Greek word airo, and it means to bind together that which was separated. So now I'm taking two things that were once together separated, now I am restoring again. I am bringing together two warring factions and the war is declared no more. In taking the fractured bone and setting it right again, this is the God of peace. It is reunion, restoration, reconciling that which has been broken. Remember, our perfect fellowship with God was severed when sin entered into the world. We know it, we hear it, but death in Scripture not only means the cessation of life, it means separation. The Bible says in Romans 5, 12, wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death, by sin, death, separation, by sin, and so death, separation passed upon all men for the all have sinned. Now we must ask, what did God do to bring together that which was separated? He sent Jesus to become the bridge that would span the great gulf between God and man. Now, the God-man, Jesus Christ, secures our peace. It was prophesied of him that he would bring peace to a world that was desperately in need. Isaiah the prophet writes in this fashion. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, 
the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Again, the New Testament, the Gospel of Luke records when Jesus came, the Bible says, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. He's going to show me something that I have to be shown. What is this new way of peace? And then at long last, the angels are about to declare the arrival of the Lamb of God. They appeared first to those humble shepherds and they proclaimed, glory to God in the highest. There is no other means by which God could be greater glorified. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. What, what wonderful words now are uttered. And on earth, that's here. This is the, the place that we have wars and rumors of wars. And on earth, peace. In the Old Testament, we, we might have said the shalom. Now we have this one, the prince of peace, who has arrived to show us the way of peace. And we have this declaration, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. So would the peace that the Jews were looking for now, would it be theirs to enjoy? They've been looking for this Messiah. Is now this peace theirs to enjoy? Well, the, the answer is yes and no. Yes, but not quite as they expected. This God of peace would bring such violence to himself that his own creation cannot observe. The, the sun is darkened. The the, the, the world around goes black. Why? Because the creator, the, the pure, spotless, sinless lamb of God becomes sin for us. The earth would shudder, even quake, as its creator would hang suspended between heaven and hell. Yes, God is indeed the God of peace. But that peace came at high cost through the pain and cruelty and separation Jesus experienced on the cross. And some may be asking even now, why was such cruelty needed? Why the cross? Again, listen to the words of the prophet Isaiah. Surely he, Jesus, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement, there it is, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him. Why the cross? Why the cruelty? Why the violence? Why the separation? Why the bitter cup? Because the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. This means that the securing of our peace was through Christ's payment on the cross. This is the condition of peace that can never be disturbed once secured. 
Once you accept Jesus Christ as your, what we might say, propitiation, it's a wonderful word, as your final satisfaction, nothing else need be done. You have the condition of peace secured. And we often experience the feelings of peace that come from our condition. Now, we do acknowledge the feelings may fluctuate, but the condition will never change. Have you ever planted perennials before? Perennials. They're kind, of, they're kind of wonderful because they provide something beautiful. In fact, you may have planted them and enjoyed the wonderful, spectacular blossoms that so many of them provide. And yet there are seasons where those blossoms wilt, fade, and even disappear completely. And sometimes the, the plant itself, we wonder, is there any life yet remaining? And yet the plant is still very much alive. And it will return again, oftentimes with even greater splendor than that which it was left. And now we once again see the reality of this new, beautiful return of that which truly never left. F.B. Meyer once wrote, There is a peace that passeth understanding. It is too deep for words. It is like the pillowed depths of the ocean, which are undisturbed by the passing storm. Here is a peace that passes understanding, which comes from the God of peace. This is the peace secured for you and me by the one known as the God of peace. He could only secure that peace if he were also something else. So let's follow our text a little bit beyond the God of peace, which he is, secured at great violence, which he did, but he's not only this God of peace to accomplish this, he is the God of power. The God of power. This is where the great role reversal, the great come from behind victory is seen. This is where we have this, this enemy crushing strength. The God of power. The Bible says, and the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet. Now Paul, Paul begins to highlight the power of God, and he does so by referencing the defeat of the enemy of God, Satan himself. And I find this wonderfully interesting. In fact, this is the kind of thing that, that puts a little subtle smile on your face. Like, oh, wow, that is, that is encouraging to know. We have been week after week, with no apology, month after month, Sermon after sermon, take your Bible and turn to Romans chapter. We're coming to the conclusion of this wonderful epistle. There will be another message. I suspect one more where I will say in this series, take your Bible and turn to Romans chapter 16. And we will conclude it. And in all the messages, all the weeks, all the months... This is the first time that Satan is mentioned in the entire book. Do you know what Paul does not take his time focusing on? The power of the enemy. Do you know what he does focus our attention on? The power of the cross. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. 
And so now Paul finally gets around. He's got a few more, you know, greetings to uh, extend. And then he says, and by the way, that old enemy, the roaring lion, the one upon whose neck your foot will be placed, Satan, soon you will crush the head of the enemy. We may know that when Satan is finally mentioned, Paul has only one thing to say about him. And it follows the words of Martin Luther that we sang when we opened this service. His rage we can endure. Why? For lo, his doom is sure. The word bruised in our text, rich in meaning. The Greek word, suntribo, which means to crush is this understanding of this meeting of forces, the one greater force crushing the lesser. To to put it in perspective, it is as if there is a Mack truck that is driving at 75 miles down the interstate, 75 miles an hour, and there is a dragonfly flying at approximately five miles an hour in the opposite direction. Dragonfly meets Mack truck. It is a real impact for them both. It is a consequential impact for only one. And it is not the Mack truck, okay? Um, and yes, some animals were hurt in the illustration of it. <laughs> you know, when you think about, okay, these two opposing forces, Satan, this roaring lion, and God Almighty. There is a real impact, so to speak, on both, but consequential for only one. I remember years ago as a youth pastor, I was, um, I was hit harder than I have ever been hit in my life. Have any of you ever been in a circumstance where you have been hit so far, so hard that you wound up like in next week, okay? Have you ever been hit so hard that you'd literally, have you ever seen the cartoons where the birds were flying around? The, how many of you have had that kind of experience before? Okay. So I was hit, we were playing capture the flag. And it was kind of one of those, you know, well, you kind of tackle people. So I, I, could, I could show you the location in Samson, Alabama, where this happened. There's still an imprint of me that's lying on the... <laughs> so I'm just standing there, and I'm kind of looking. I'm looking in another direction. And all of a sudden, from the side, a freight train of a teenage guy hit me. Now, he, this, is a, this is a kid that was playing um, local uh, public school football. He was quite accomplished. And this says it all. His name was Bubba, okay? <laughs> and when I was hit by Bubba, I mean, he had, I know, like, I can still see him when, when I'm, you know, laying on the ground, and he's kind of over me with this really, I don't know, frustrating smile on his face, all right? I am just like, you know, there the birds are tweeting around my head. And I was hit with this force. Again, there are two, now, now, I can't even say I was leaning in his direction to provide something. But, you know, all 97 pounds of me back then was, you know, something against his probably 220. 
And it knocked me for a loop. This is the idea of these two forces that collide. It's real for both, consequential for one. In the context of Romans 16, 20, this word bruised means to crush the strength and power of Satan once and for all. We are left with no doubt as to who is the winner in the battle. Say, well, well, give me some context for this. Help me to understand because I feel like right now I still struggle with defeat from the enemy. Some context. First of all, Satan has been defeated by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Bible says it this way, Hebrews 2.14, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, we live in real bodies, he also himself likewise took part of the same. Jesus came in real flesh and blood. Why? That through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. Had the power of death, that is, the devil. Satan has been defeated by death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Then we see Satan is being defeated by believers standing in the power of the resurrection. You and I do have today power to stand against. The Bible says it this way, Ephesians 6, 12 and 13. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. We today have the power of the cross to stand against the wiles of the devil. What do we do? Take unto us all the resources given regarding our power in Christ. Having done all to stand. Finally, Satan will be ultimately defeated never to deceive or destroy again. Some are asking even now, when will this happen? Paul's about to answer this. Paul was writing to the church of Rome. They're suffering from challenges both within and without. There were false teachers, false accusers, false doctrine. But Paul reminds them of the God of peace and the God of power. God's people were to understand they were to crush not only Satan's lesser spirits, but they were to exercise crushing power over the old roaring lion himself. And we say, how is that possible? It's possible because greater, greater is he, that's Jesus, that is in you than he that is in the world. The God of power accomplished his own victory over Satan and has thereby secured our victory as well. These are not simply nice words for our encouragement. These are necessary words for our advancement. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, now think about where you are in relationship to Christ and what this means regarding our power. Ephesians 1, 19, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power? 
which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. He's saying Jesus Christ has the power to reign supreme, not just now, but for all of eternity. So we know that Jesus is placed at the throne of power. Okay, believer, where are you? Jesus reigning from the throne of power today and throughout all of eternity, where are you? Colossians 2.10 says, and ye are complete, here it is, in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Where are you today? From whence cometh your power? It comes from Jesus Christ. And where are we? Complete in him. We're at the same place. Now, our victory is in daily appropriating the power that is ours, remembering that his power is our power. Remember, those who are co-heirs with Christ are also co-conquerors with the same. Romans chapter 8, verse number 17. And if children, that's us, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. What he has, we have. Now, because he is a God of power, he has all the resources necessary to keep what we will see last, and that is the God of promises. He keeps his word. God always keeps his promises. Notice what he says. He says, and the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet. When? When is this going to happen? Like, Lord, how long? God says, here's what I'm going to do. Paul reminds us, I will bruise him under your feet shortly. The church at Rome hears this and it's like, that could be today or tomorrow or the next week. And the answer is absolutely. Well, has God completed that, that crushing of the enemy? Not yet, but shortly. We say, well, well when is that going to happen? Remember, a, a day with the Lord is as a thousand years. A thousand years is a day. In God's timetable, he's saying, soon, soon. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you remember the first time you felt like someone sold you some, some bill of goods, like some, some package that never, they never really intended to, to make good on? You ever feel that way? Like, yeah, I remember when so-and-so lied to me or I was deceived by this or how about false advertising? How many of you have ever seen a burger at a fast food joint on a picture and then the real thing was not even like a real thing? The first time I, honestly, the first time I remember this really happening, happening to me, I was probably seven, eight, nine years old. There was a comic book that I loved to read, and it was the Red Rider comic book. Red Rider was a uh, cowboy, and, and I loved following his adventures in the comic books. And if you ever used to read comic books from days gone by, I know they're not, not nearly as... as um, I don't know, popular today. Red Rider is a thing of the past. But man, when I'm reading Red Rider, you also had scattered throughout the comic book different advertisements. 
that captured the attention of this seven-year-old boy. In fact, one captured my attention in ways that I thought about. I mean, I read the, the advertisement over and over because I wanted what it had. And here's what it was. It was a Polaris nuclear submarine. Don't laugh, please. Okay. And you could purchase this submarine, nuclear submarine, for $6.98. Okay. Now, please, lest you think like, oh, well, it's probably like a little, a little matchbox. No, 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 no. Okay, here's the advertisement. This is what it looked like. And this is what captures my attention. Okay. $6.98. Now, I know you can't read all of this, so let me, show, let me give you some of the highlights. First of all, it's over seven feet long. This is no little matchbox thing. Over seven foot long, seats two kids, controls that work, rockets that fire, real periscope, firing torpedoes, I couldn't wait, electronically lit instrument panel, and then listen to this description. This is part of it. It's right there. You can read it. It's in black and white. What thrills as you play at hunting sunken treasures in pirate waters and exploring the strange and mysterious bottom of the deep ocean floor? I'm all over it, man. Put that thing in the lake and I'm going to do some exploring. Okay, I, I saved my money. And this is the truth. I saved my money and um, I got it, gave it to my parents who then wrote a check for me for $6.98. Oh, and 75 cent shipping because there was 75 cent shipping. Incredible. And so, um, and so we wrote the check, mailed it off, and I waited and I waited, and I waited, and, and for lack of a better expression, my ship never sailed, okay? I know, I hear some of those audible awes in the congregation. It never came, and man, was I disappointed. You, you know what I surmise today, some years later? I surmise today that had it ever come, I would have been even more disappointed. Do you know, oftentimes we look at the promises of God and we do so with a raised eyebrow. It's like, yeah, that's probably good for some people, but it doesn't really work for me. All his promises, they are yes, yes. Every promise in the book is mine. Every chapter, every verse, every line. Everything that God has said, God makes good on. There is no false advertising in the pages of Scripture. If it's offered for you, it is yours to claim. God's promises are never intended to mislead. At the cross, Satan was allowed only to reach our Savior's heel, bruised, Rising from the tomb, Christ took the very head of Satan's power, crushed. Both the crucifixion and the resurrection were the fulfillment of a promise made in Genesis 3.15 that God made in the Garden of Eden and God keeps his promises just as he always does. What a glorious thought, the fulfillment of the promise seen in the resurrection and how wonderful it is that we can know personally this risen, conquering king and graciously, 
This powerful little verse doesn't end there. Notice what it says in conclusion. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So be it, he says. Amen. He's saying until the final victory is secured, which will be soon, God has provided the grace necessary for the battle. This is why Martin Luther could write and why you and I can sing, and though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness, grim. We tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. What happened when Jesus died? His heel was bruised. What happened when he came out of the tomb three days later? Satan's power was crushed. His doom sure. Will you reign with Christ? With Satan's head under your feet? Or will you be condemned with Satan? Spending an eternity apart from God. The death of Christ satisfied my sin debt. His resurrection secures my life eternal. Have you recognized why Christ died? The death was a substitution for your life. He died in your place. He died so you can live. If you've never accepted him and his gift of life eternal, may today be your day where the tables are turned and where you move from the side of the defeated to the one who tasted defeat so that you can live. If Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, it puts Satan in a very precarious situation under your feet.